Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm putting on the talent. The talent's the focus. It's like, of course, it's lovely all the very kind words people are saying and writing as we turn 20, and I really appreciate it, but I don't want to really kind of make it about me. Now, you say that when you came into fashion, you knew absolutely nothing about it. What do you think is the most significant thing that you've learned about it? Be true to yourself. I say this to designers. Don't be, you know, second-guessing and looking what other people are doing over your shoulder. Just do you. Once you embrace and accept yourself, all else, kind of, everything else flows. I mean, you know, when you fighting yourself and hating on yourself and anxious, it's not going to work. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's been a harrowing year for independent fashion designers all over the world, in particular in London, which has long been recognized as a hotbed of creativity with young, independent fashion designers coming from the city's top fashion school. This week, our editor-at-large, Tim Blank, sits down with Lulu Kennedy, sometimes referred to as the fairy godmother of independent fashion designers, who are now facing a whole host of new challenges related to the coronavirus pandemic and the ensuing economic crisis. Tim talks to Lulu this week to talk about what it means for independent fashion designers going forward and how they can navigate the ongoing uncertainty. Here's Lulu Kennedy, Inside Fashion. Welcome to BOF Live. Today we are talking to Lulu Kennedy, the godmother of British fashion, who last night celebrated the 20th year of Fashion East, the initiative that she started two decades ago, which has probably had as much impact on the course of British fashion as the great fashion colleges. Um, It's like a... It's like, what, what do they call that thing in baseball where you have the team that produces, uh, that, you know, shapes uh, young players that then go on into the major leagues? Oh, uh, they have a sort of home team or field to seed or something like that. Anyway, like that's, an what fashion, kind of thing. <laughs> that's what Fashion East is. So, so great to talk to you and congratulations, thank Lulu. You, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, 20 years. Where did that go? 20 years. You were 12 when you started doing it. <laughs> it's actually quite it's quite shocking in a way and as usual I've put off to the last minute kind of even dealing with it um because it's just been you know one of those times 
but it was a bit, it reminds me of when I turned 50, I just kind of put it to the back of my mind. It's just, ah, no biggie, no biggie. <laughs> I think that's the best way of doing it. Otherwise you might feel overwhelmed or under pressure. And I just didn't really want that. But it, it seems to me that, that, that your ability to deal with pressure and the over, overwhelming elements of the fashion world uh, have been the things that have you've to me you've always it's you've always felt like an incredibly stable nurturing supportive person in the in the fashion world and and I I've often thought you haven't really had the due that you you should have had I mean I I, I feel trumpets should have been blown a lot longer and harder for you come on I don't it's it yeah I'm Okay, thank you. But I'm always much happier just lurking around in the shadows, in the background. Um, yeah, I'm not really, I don't like being front of house. I'm putting on the talent, the talent's the focus. It's like, of course, it's lovely all the very kind words people are saying and writing as we turn 20 and I really appreciate it, but I don't want to really kind of make it about me. But um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> The rest of the world can do that. Uh, and so 20 years ago, tell me about how Fashion East started. What, what was the original concept? Um, what were you responding to at that time? So I just moved back to the UK from Naples and I was working in an art gallery on Brick Lane and was, I just got chatting to this guy. It turns out he owns this incredible 11 acre site on Brick Lane called the Truman Brewery. And he said, would you come and um, help me decide what to do with it. You know, it's this incredible space and opportunity. And I was just like, well, wow, of course. After one day I wanted to go home and not come back, but luckily I did, I came back on day two. <laughs> um, and that was very typical of me because I was kind of not really sure at all what I wanted to do. Um, to be honest, I had no fashion background, training, no relevant experience to be doing what I was doing, but he got me anyhow. So I stayed and he got me renting out his big industrial ex brewery warehouses for fashion shows. My first ever show was um, Hussein July and Seminole, you know, the lineup. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, fully gowned to naked. So that was my first. That's their door. That's their door. Yeah. 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 So my mind, my little mind was blown. And I, I was living in Shoreditch, you know, locally. And I'd got to know all these incredible characters um, because at the time it was just such an empty wasteland and it was just, you know, little pockets of incredible creatives because rent was cheap. So there I was knowing all these incredible fashion designers, but without any real kind of context. Um, I just knew who I knew. And so House of Jazz and people were, who were my good friends were like, hey, Lulu, could you, could you hustle us a warehouse? And that is honestly how it started. Me going to my boss, knocking on his door. Hey, my friends are so talented. You'll love them. <laughs> could we just borrow a warehouse for their show? You know, Katie Graham styling. And he was like, who's that? And I was like, I don't really know, but she's always at the pub and she's very fun. <laughs> So honestly, this is my very naive, very kind of just without a plan, but kind of just following my, what I wanted to be doing, which was helping my friends. And that is honestly how it started. It sounds like I'm making it up, but it just started from that knock on the door. Hey, could I just borrow a warehouse? And in the end, he loved it so much. The first show we helped them with, um, he was like, yeah, these kids are amazing. And I want to give something back because this is a big property owner, not developer. Um, it's still very much as it was when he bought it. And it honestly just became his pet project. It was something he loved to do to give back. And I guess you just don't really find those patrons. I mean, that, that, was, that was a huge moment in, in London fashion with Hussein doing that show, with McQueen doing his amazing shows down at Gatliff Road, the, the depot. Um, and you know, the eyes of the world were on London again. Very exciting time, yeah. And I was just, I just ended up in the midst of it by mistake, really. And did you, um, did you have any kind of criteria when you, when you, when you worked with people or, or, or was it really just a sort of Mickey and Judy, let's put on a show kind of situation? That is definitely how it started. Um, and then we kind of, uh, we kind of decided because of my lack of knowledge and contacts, that we better have, um, it better be a bit structured. So we got together um, a panel of, you know, journalists and buyers and stylists. And actually in the beginning, some of the designers themselves were on the 
panel. So it was a panel of experts to kind of guide and shape it a bit. So it was really interesting to have everyone's um, expertise and point of view. And that really was kind of me learning on the job, like, because I mean, when we first started, I just didn't understand at all the hierarchies, the politics that, you know, that we all just take for granted now and that I now know and don't really like. <laughs> but do you, do you think you were protected then in a way that would you, would you describe yourself as naive at that time? Completely. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know a thing, but then that's kind of almost great because you're not shutting yourself down all the time by like, oh, but then, oh, but what if, and oh, they won't like that, I'd better not do that. So I just kind of did what I did. <laughs> and still do. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so when did it uh, kind of take shape as for designers or, um, you know, when did you, and who, who were, you mentioned House of Jazz there, but who else were you working with at that time? So the who were the first fashion Easter, Easterners? Uh, the very first show was House of Jazz and these great kids called Black, this label called Black, who Mandy Leonard was representing at the time. And they, they were just brilliant. And the other two, uh, back in the mists of time. I can't remember, but one had a live band, which was chaos on the sound, on the um, sound desk, but we, we pulled it off. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was in a big warehouse and I think we had over a thousand people and yeah, it felt like something straight away. Not, not very shaped yet, but at least it, it went, you know, it started with a real bang. And what, what, would, what would Black and House of Jazz, because both of them became pretty, you know, pretty significant names as well. Um, what would they have done if you hadn't been there to orchestrate this sort of event for them? What, what, what was the traditional, uh, the, the traditional way of doing things for young designers like them in those days? I think they would have just continued to show off schedule in very small, venues that they could kind of just about put on a little show with. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think people, it would have just taken a very different path for them. At the time, there was no support other than the BFC's, um, the British Fashion Council's new gen scheme, which at the very time was, there were only a few places. It was really aspirational. It was very, very difficult to get. It was people like, you know, McQueen and Sophia Kokosalaki would get it and a couple of others and that would be it. So there wasn't this much, you know, much more inclusive coverage of, of everyone and different kind of formats. So I imagine the BFC was probably quite grateful that you were prepared to take on the, uh, the task of, of helping. I went to see them. Next yeah, I went, I went to kind of, again, knock on their door, be like, hey, I'm Lulu, I'm from like, East London, I'm going to do this thing. And I think they were probably just a bit bemused and I'm not sure what to do with me. Um, and I tried to explain it. it's going to be this little, almost like a stepping stone towards new gen. I, I said it's it's, uh, it's its own thing. It's um, independent and it's going to be a group show. Not everyone will make it. These are very small brands, but it's in a way going to make people's lives easier. So if you're reporting... You don't have to go to four off-schedule shows that are, you know, in these far-flung places. You just come to one show and it's put on and you've got your seat and you sit and you watch all four. A bit like, I guess, in music where a band is trying to get signed. It's kind of following that, that format, I guess. So I think it was making people's lives easier, maybe. Yeah, totally. I mean, who, who did you get the, the, the most immediate response from when, when you did those first fashion? Oh, definitely House of Jazz. And then... Black and they they both I think went on to get new gen and bigger and better things for sure. I mean I mean uh, audience wise, who the, the the people coming from out of town must have been very very grateful. I think so. I think it made it easy and also at the time at Truman's we had all these other warehouses, so as well as our show, we would slot other kind of satellite shows around it and also host a big show like Hussein, Matthew Williams. I'm trying to think who else. Anyhow, you, you get the picture that it became this kind of whole little village where people could just walk around from show to show, take it easy, stop in a cafe without having to bounce around London, you know, which is long, mm -hmm. as you know. It, it was so useful. Um, what, what, and what was the, what, 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 what did you offer them at that point? I mean, you said, we will work with you until, you know, until 
you move into new gen or or what what was it what was your sort of kind of up, up for discussion because everyone's sort of starting maybe at a different level and some person might just need one season and then they fly the nest some people maybe need a couple to kind of get their act together and be ready and I mean as recently as last last year I think we gave someone a fourth season because I mean traditionally our our formula is like three shows with us and then you should be ready for new gen but sometimes people will want to sit a season out or you know life happens <laughs> they need a fourth season and what were the what were the what were the biggest challenges that you had to deal with on a sort of regular basis so working with um working with young when when everything was everyone was fairly financially strapped so yeah, it was chaos. Did you, ever have, did you have to put your hand in your own pocket very often to kind of keep I mean, back running? then, before 9-11 happened, we, sponsorship was pretty good, you know? It was actually really good. Um, it's not as easy now, and that's definitely, you know, having an impact. You have to work harder with the budgets that you have. But, uh, I mean, the main problem, challenge we had was the chaos of trying to get designers ready to show and the chaos of backstage you know imagine three three teams you've been backstage you know yes um yeah, uh, yeah. but um i guess also the the main challenge for young designers is once they do have traction and stockists is they can't keep up with cash flow mm. get these you know burnouts where they just kind of said yes to everything and gone too fast and run out of money it's a real classic I mean, yeah, and 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 London fashion, particularly, there are some really serious. There's some major bentoirs that that I guess that is one of those. One of them is being over becoming overextended really, really quickly. Um, but if you say you were naive going into it, I imagine you wised up pretty quickly, okay. and and pretty soon you could. You're 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 a pretty savvy businesswoman anyway, so you would then become a sort of business advisor for the people that you that you uh took on mm -hmm. yeah, did that happen did that happen a lot? I had to be mentored first and I think it's really important to just say you know thanks to the people that kind of taught me the ropes I mean Mandy Leonard she really like knocked me into shape as you can imagine <laughs> don't do that do this Got it. Um, <laughs> a real crash course. I mean, she's one of my dearest friends. And I guess, yeah, just from talking, having these nice informal meetings like we used to with the panel, and you've been on the menswear panel, you just kind of thrash it out. And yeah, the whole thing is a learning experience. And when we started offering some mentoring sessions to the designers from, you know, say like a, a brilliant buyer on the panel, buying director, I would sit in and We've been making notes and it would be like such an eye-opener for us as well to get this kind of real insider knowledge that you know we were passing on not only to that particular designer sitting there but also just accumulating that to kind of also give that to the future generations coming through it's the real like what not to do's and those kind of things we also at the time hosted this really good um kind of workshop with one of the designers jonathan saunders who also did this like what not to do like you know if I could do things again I would you know and he said like I wouldn't grow so fast I wouldn't put on such big shows and, and just really good advice. I was always curious about the mix mm. um whether you how you planned that mix of people that you put together whether it was just who you thought was at the most chance of succeeding or who you felt needed the most support or whether you felt I need need some men's wear, I need some women's wear, I need sports wear, I need evening or whatever. How did you put those um, original mixes together? Because you look back at some of those lineups and they're just, they're so wow. I mean, That's right. incredible. Yeah. Um... Like J.W. Anderson and, you know, Craig Green and whoever else was yeah. in the mix at that time. Uh, yeah, people ask a lot about that curation element, I guess, of the mm. lineup, and um, it's a mixture of like who's around and wants to do it, who's who's might think they want to do it but isn't ready and needs another season. You know, you're taking all to those all those things into account, and it, um, I try not to make it about you know who's too rich and doesn't need to do it, and 
who's really desperate for money, therefore I need to give it to them. Because I think it should actually just really come down to the talent and mm -hmm. who's who's ready enough to put on a show that is worthy of the kind of, you know, people that we're going to be inviting and the audience and so that they don't, they're not premature. And, you know, sometimes I've had this feeling afterwards like they weren't ready and they should yeah. have done a static presentation and they really wanted to do runway. And I kind of had this feeling they weren't ready. And sure enough, they weren't ready. But I guess, you know, people say, well, that's the best way to learn your mistakes is, is in a group show because it's quite a safe space. It's not like you're putting on a big solo show. It's this big thing. It's like some kind of maneuvering, you know, and people maybe are more generous, the audience. Did they ever come back when they were ready and sort of made everything right again? Um, just sometimes it's been a case of waiting until someone is ready. Uh. No, I'm I'm I'm, curi I'm especially curious because of the the um the thirtieth twentieth uh, anniversary show. Um, sometimes with Fashion East, it's amazing the breadth. You get this. You'll get these incredibly incredibly divergent voices, and I was thinking with the new show, what really struck me is how coherent the four of them were. They all sat together. It it really felt like there was. You could see that there's there is kind of one thing on people's minds in a way. And, and it, it was very, very coherently expressed. I thought it was all, it seemed to me all about uh, mobility. Yes. All the clothes, all the clothes were designed for maximum movement. Yeah. They were all very, very about the body. There wasn't that sort of, you know, sometimes in fashion, there's some really extraordinary fantasias. There have been these really extraordinary dream you know dream worlds and um, and yet last night everything was so I, I wonder i wonder if you if you were if you felt that when you looked at the four designers that you highlighted not consciously before the show but yes afterwards it's like because i'm so just down in the trenches with them just getting the damn thing done you know it's like it's not till afterwards when you've kind of absorbed it slept on it maybe and it's trickled through you're like oh my god they were all dancing in the, in the video yes yeah and extreme, extreme movement yes you no know, it was extreme it was like you could say you could say people were either running away or running to or i don't know it it just it was it, i i was thinking that's when fashion east has really become its own thing you know when you look at a show like that and it's almost like you could look at those people in that context forevermore and it's it wouldn't be like all oh, these people are going to want, going to they're going to go on and be the next big thing. They're perfectly, perfectly happy within the the fashion east under the fashion east umbrella, and it all worked. And and I, it's a crazy just, time capsule. Yeah, exactly. Like a like a like an artifact almost. How often has that happened? Where where you feel that one season totally expresses or reflects something that's going on in the wider world that everybody seems to be on a wavelength. Do you know what, when I think, and I'm not sure if you came to him, but we took over the ICA in the gallery in London and we had Grace Wells Bonner upstairs doing a beautiful, very, very serene um, tableau type presentation, complete with a lily pond, like real water. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how we got away with that. In the upstairs, Brandon, Brandon Sweet Galleries, are they called? And then downstairs in the big theater, which is like a big black cave, we had Charles Jeffrey Loverboy recreating you know, um, Vogue Fabrics uh, nightclub with all the kind of lover boy kids, um, flowers strewn around, like music, everyone dancing at, you know, nine in the morning or something, whatever crazy slot would have been given by the BFC. Um, and I just had this feeling of like, well, these are like, I was it you that said heaven and hell? <laughs> Probably. Somebody Probably. did. Oh, yeah, somebody good. came up with that analogy and it was like, well, this really just feels like such a snapshot of London because it was the beginning of kind of, it was Grace's second season with us. She had done one amazing tableau um, in the gallery with us the season before. And I think people were just really kind of opening up to her as a, you know, the powerhouse entity that she is and also Charles. And it was this concurrent moment of like very, very different worlds colliding, but somehow working. And it was a season that I loved, yeah. What was it, what do you think that season was saying then? And what do you think last night's uh, presentation was saying what do you think 
I'm curious, like, if you feel that that was a moment that 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 Grace and um and Charles captured there, a sort of that, that kind of eruption of creativity. What what would what do you think the statement was that was being made last I'm, night? Tim, I don't even know which year it was. Is it about three years ago now? I wish I, I do remember that one. I remember the lily pond. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a better um chronological time thing. Um, I think it was just about there was an awakening of kind of consciousness around grace and everything that she you know all her narratives were really just kind of hit you know impacting people hitting them and it was a great moment she was really really ahead of her time in that way mm. and Charles Jeffrey was just bringing back like that exuberance that London that punk spirit and hedonism and you know just fabulous <laughs> and it felt like we all needed that kind of we needed both you know and in that moment, they were sort of projecting, like projecting a vision of what fashion's future was going to be. Mm. Um, and I wonder if last night they were sort of re re not projecting, they were sort of reflecting more of a sort of a mood now. I mean, what, what did you think? I just thought each of them was really true to their craft and hadn't been kind of capsized by kind of world, you know, global catastrophes that kind of maintained their their equilibrium um and yeah they were experimenting but they were also just really holding it down and I was kind of quite proud of that consistency you know there was something in what they were doing which was which reflected the, the I thought the angst that that yeah. this whole year has it reflected has, it. yeah that that there was there was a there was a sort of activist core yeah they didn't give into it the angst there wasn't this feeling yeah. of like brooding over something it was like you know defiance yeah defiance just like full steam ahead <laughs> I mean when you see somebody like Saul Nash who was such a star in Fashion East when he when he debuted um and and then last night did the because everybody obviously did films but doing a film on the where was that the Jurassic Coast in Dorset or something when they're right on the edge of the cliff and and then, in fact, I told him, please don't go to near the edge of that cliff. <laughs> my feet were sweating when I was watching. Yeah, I, I was waiting for someone to go over. Yeah. Um, but when you see somebody like that, and what is super strong with him is a sort of, I mean, the clothes, the clothes are in service to the concept in a way. Like you feel that the concept is there and he kind of dresses the concept that's those, those clothes like I said made for mobility made yeah. for made just to stretch yourself to extremes Completely. when you see someone like him mm -hmm. um do you do you feel that sort of frisson um do you feel a frisson when you see people like him the way maybe you when you saw Jonathan Anderson in Fashion East or Craig or any of the other incredible I mean actually you could name almost any London designer of the last 20 years and there's some kind of attachment to what you've been doing but I just wonder how you feel like when you're standing there obviously you have all these technical and you know professional things to deal with but, headaches. you know <laughs> what do you feel in your um your headaches yeah do you, do you get that sort of thing in your soul hundred and a million percent yeah I mean I kind of got that with Saul I mean if we're talking about Saul as a case kind of study I felt that as soon as I met him there's just he has star qualities a very special yeah. soul he is you know extremely um, diligent in how he you know conducts himself and his business with his team with his dancers I mean the whole thing is a beautiful thing to watch um, there have been no jarring moments with him he gets his head down and really works he asks for help when he needs it. He's, he's just like, yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. And, And from all your experience, when you look at someone like him, what do you see in his future? Oh, really great things, like really yeah, I feel very protective of him that he's someone that, that needs protecting and, and nurturing, you know, beyond fashionist into his future. He's he's gonna do so well. He has a yeah. great attitude. All, yeah. of you, all four of them, I'm telling you, they are like the dream. <laughs> you and your new boy last night was Maximilian, and um there's already a buzz about him. Huge, yeah. So tell me about him. So Max, I've known for a few years because he assisted Grace, he assisted Mo Lola. So I know him kind of socially, I guess. And, you know, I can see he's a really hardworking um, guy, but I didn't actually know that he was going to launch his own label. I saw that he'd done some T-shirts and I was, I think I'm still waiting for mine, Max. <laughs> um, but, uh he, I, he kind of took me by surprise when not only did he say, hey, I'm ready to apply, but also the work that he presented was so ready. And I was like, where have you just come out of the blue like that? You know, it felt so fully, so fully formed. Even his application, it was just incredible. I was like, okay, this has to be your season, your moment. You are ready. Can you name any other times when, when, that's, when you've been so struck? Craig? Green, when I saw his MA show, um, and then I went to the static exhibition which they do in the campus, uh, and yeah, Louise Wilson was there, and uh, just the way he talked about his work, and you know, it was just so obviously, it was so everything so clear in his mind how he spoke about his work, so comfortable in his work, so passionate, um, and the work was just so well executed. I was like, well, he's an incredible artist. I didn't I didn't know he was gonna put on the shows these kind of blockbusters that he put on but um the very first season we worked with him was just a static exhibition I remember you coming to it we had somehow got this uh a townhouse on the Mall near Buckingham Palace Mm. had a room and he kind of filled it with like hay bales and Mm. 
kind of monsters made out of bin bags and and he only had one model standing there but it was just an incredible kind of vision and execution and people were fascinated it's like the one time we we showed martine and she had one model standing on plinths with um grecian statues and you did you and you what did you do in somerset house oh my gosh you remember we had the tunnel that runs across the underneath the, the courtyard yeah. where the are. So it had never been used apart from filming um, Jack the Ripper, I think. And I got friendly with the, the commercial director at the time. I think we bonded over like trucks or something, CB radio jokes. And um, he just said, hey, let me show you this tunnel. So we went down the kind of like the moat into, <laughs> I call it the moat, it runs all the way. It's probably got a proper name. And there was this tunnel and there were these coal sheds, these beautiful little arches. So that season yeah. we had like installations in the coal sheds and a show for the menswear and then the women's or the other way around in the tunnel. And then an after party in the tunnel, which was also legendary. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, because I remember seeing Martine, um, I remember when you talk about seeing people who just seem to arrive so complete, mm. um, there've been a lot of times like that with Fashion East, where Martine, I, I remember when I, sh I saw a collection of shirts and they were just so fantastic. And, and but also what I really loved was, yeah. it's great to see focus, you know, it's great. I am good at making shirts, so I am going to do shirts. This my edit and it's really tight and it's really, yeah. it's really good. Why do you think from your experience, London producers or the UK producers, so many, great unique talents i mean it's got to be the colleges but also combined with the culture you, you know we have an incredible youth culture here always have done um and i guess it's the freedom of uh, growing up in that and having you know the privilege of going to these great colleges and being taught by great teachers it's but there's also a great you know industry around it all the all the kind of editorial content that comes out of this country is equally powerful and you know that we're just immersed in that and we probably take it for granted being here but I think when you look around we are incredibly lucky to to have this. I, I've always thought that the, that there was also a, a, a prior the priority was creativity before it was becoming a you know billion dollar business so yeah. actually you had people who were who seemed to be much more patient much more prepared to um just make things and not, you know, not expect, uh, you know, the golden yeah. handshake. Well, people, it is also very frustrating. And I think it's not that people don't want to produce as well. It's that it's quite difficult here. We don't have the industry, you know, like that Milan does. And there is a lot of frustration with designers that are trying to get stuff made that looks, you know, that, that on time and on budget and that's good quality and there's buyers that are desperate to buy it and kind of have to hedge their bets because they know these designers maybe don't have the capital to kind of take on all these orders and can't produce some time and so there's a lot of frustration from my side as well it's like one thing going forward with fashionista I would love to secure is some kind of manufacturing partnership or scheme that these designers can tap into if they don't if they're not able to themselves so I think it's kind of where we're missing a trick. Do you, think, do you think it's been, it, it, do you think that with the political situation here with Brexit looming and that was always going to be such a hard thing for the British fashion industry to, to, um, uh, to cope with, um, do you think it's become harder? Do you think that, that, that fashion is maybe less respected or less in, in, in officialdom's minds than it was a few years ago? I hope not, I don't think so. I just think our designers on the ground here have to work probably twice as hard as elsewhere to actually get stuff produced. And yeah, it's gonna be a whole mother of a headache, all the import and all those issues and- Terrible. Yeah, a nightmare. I mean, I do think potentially it will be, you know, it won't be a London, it won't be a UK based partnership though. That I hopefully one day enter into with somebody it'll be you know probably Europe. From your lips to <laughs> everybody's ears all over the world but you know that but through all of that through through these kind of challenges that are maybe specific to London as opposed to you know cities like 
Milan, Paris, or New York. Um, there's a great community here. And that's one thing that has always stood out is how supportive of each other everyone is. And I, I'm always amazed to, when you're talking to a designer in Paris and one of their peers walks past and they don't know each other or they've never, you know, I'm like, hmm, you know, in London, everybody knows, yeah. hangs out, helps. I know, it's not great. How um, important has it been for you to be part of, because you're part of that community, as you say, you see people at the pub, you see, you know, you go out for the night and there's everyone there. Um, do, how do you think that's contributed to the unique personality of the scene here? I um, I guess it was probably unintentional. Um, I mean, you know, it's not like we sat and did a strategy of like, oh, let's try and bring people together. But I mean, that's what I naturally do. I mean, in my previous job, I was putting on raves with friends in Naples and that's all about bringing people together, you know, one experience, one focus, creativity, experimentation, expression. So, you know, you can't do that without a community. Everyone has to kind of come together and work together. And for me, it's second nature. And, and, you know, to go back to the early days, I was sometimes quite shocked that there would be the occasional character that would like, not want to be part of it. And I'd be like, but why wouldn't you? Like, this is great. And I guess, you know, that's, everyone's different and has their, their own boundaries and their own, you know, their own goals that they're aiming to. There's only been a couple of moments like that in 20 years where I've kind of had to step back and go, this isn't going to work. This is, you know, but 99% of the time people are, they're so happy to plug into the community if they're not already part of it. And, and it's not cliquey. I've just, maybe I've made it to sound cliquey though, which it absolutely is not. It's a very knowledge sharing, you know, supportive network. It's interesting. A, a, a designer I was talking to um, yesterday said that he felt something that's come out of this um, situation is he's really kind of struck by how really competitive everybody is all of a sudden. And I said, what do you mean? That, that, that the COVID crisis has made everything much more Darwinian. And he said, yes. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that, that you know, because there are some people who are really dancing as hard as they can to stay afloat. And there are other people who are obviously seeing this as an opportunity to experiment, to, completely change the way they do things and take huge risks that that they maybe wouldn't have taken before how how are you feeling about where we are now well you know I like I just said about the designers I was glad that they didn't have this sudden kind of panic urge to reinvent the wheel or themselves and I feel very much the same I I didn't reinvent myself in lockdown because I've never invented myself. I'm just me. And um, it was a relief that none of them came to me with some like, you know, idea that was really way off brand for them or way off kind of where we're at in kind of talking about things socially and politically. It was all very on point, I felt. So for me, that was a relief that there was not um, any too radical a change in a big kind of, way it was more like quiet radical under the radar <laughs> which I prefer uh it's it's is this the would you say this is the biggest challenge you've actually you've had to face in 20 years of fashion east or when have there been other times when you just thought oh my god this is going to be really hard to make this work 9-11 I mean we all know that was just a horror show and with hindsight we maybe could have had a season off and I don't know, it, it felt a bit like that all over again when this summer I'd be talking to the designers saying, guys, are you sure you want to do a collection? Are you, are you feeling it? Are you sure? You don't have to, we can sit it out. And they were like, no, no, no. And, and I kind of took my lead from them. And, and all the way along, we were kind of checking in and because I kind of expected one or maybe two to drop out. I would have fully expected that almost, but no, all four, all four just kind of, Ran with it, smashed it. Do you remember it. who it was that, that year? Oh, the year, 9-11. Oh, it was actually House of Jazz again, and um, it wasn't the same atmosphere. And, it you know, it was probably too soon. London was too soon after, and it was mm. it, it was horrible. But the clothes were great. The collection was great. And um, 
because now watching the show last night, you know, thinking about um, this activist spirit that you're talking about designers who are experimenting and taking risks and, and um, you know, engaging in the world in a, in a new, in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see, what do you see as fashion's role having seen so much of it, having seen, you know, you're like sort of Clive Davis or somebody in the music industry that shaping, you know, you're finding the, he's finding the next Whitney Houston or whatever, and you're finding these people who go on to become enormous international fashion names. But what do you see now, like going forward from this, incredibly uncertain situation that hasn't resolved itself in any way at all. Um, what do I see going on or what do I see the future? Now, what do you see? I mean, I see the virtue of independence um, really, really. I see it, I see independence has never been a, a more of an asset to, to designers than it is right now. Yeah. What do you mean by independence? Like They're that, that, that just, you know, Simone Russia or um not owned by a house you mean not, not owned not yet selling yeah. channels I think that's yeah. really yes. yeah I thought it was really interesting to see um someone like Moa Lola choose not to do a show but to like concentrate on her own putting you know reinvesting in herself and opening her own shop which sells out you know it's just like she can't keep it stocked it's, it's insane and I think it's really interesting to see people that over lockdown have kind of taken a longer view and thought, well, fashion was in this mad kind of chase it tail thing. And yeah, I don't have to do a collection, you know, when everyone else is and I can do things differently. And I think that's, obviously I love that, that independent spirit, like you say, and making your own decisions and ignoring rules that, you know, why be bothered with the rule? Cause it's there and it's like, if you can do things better in your own way, then do it, I'm all for that. So things like the fashion calendar suddenly become a lot more fluid. People do things in a way that is most suitable to them. Yeah, um, buyers for stores would say that that's a terrible idea because it's going to make everyone's yeah. way harder. So I, I don't really know. This is where, you know, next time I meet up with the fashionist panel, we'll, we'll hear all their thoughts about what they think about going forward because what I think is probably maybe, you know, not the most logical or <laughs> helpful to a buyer, for example, and budgets and deadlines and factory you know, working back on factory timelines. So, you know, I may say, oh, people should only show when they're ready and have something good to show. Um, and they, but that, that may not be the case, so. But, you, but people exploring other ways of showing, like we've seen, like this digital fashion week in London. Yeah. Um, how do you feel that, how do you feel that went? When, I mean, Burberry did a big yeah. live thing and and um, then, then, you know, other people have approached the, the challenge in, in their own ways. There have been some wonderful things. Um, to, I would agree. I think September feels a lot better than June, which just felt very premature to me. Um, mm-hmm. Too soon. And uh, I think there's more appetite for it now. And people have had longer to work on stuff. So there's some really great work coming out. I've seen some great things. And digital doesn't have to, you know, be flat. And I was very keen to see how we could kind of elevate our digital offering which is why we just we put on a screening for our designers and their teams and their family because it felt like well they've been slogging on their own in their studios or bedrooms for six five six months and um they need their moment there needs to be a live moment for us all just you know to breathe a sec to be on a nice roof um it was a very socially distant safe environment that we've created and I was like well then it's I guess it's a hybrid because obviously it is still digital and that's what most people are looking at but almost from a human point of view and as a project it's like I'm not going to not give the designers their their moment you know IRL and also for our birthday I want to I want to mark it with a moment and for me you know it was very special to have just those 50 guests on a roof at Truman Brewery which is where the project started I'm compared by the one and only Miss Karen Binns on the mic who was sensational Um, and just to have that moment of community, like you were saying, for people to be together safely in real life it had to happen. I can't imagine not having done it. I would be feeling completely like. But could, could you could, could you foresee that that might be the way things go? 
that from now on, you know, if we are, if the situation we might, we might be heading into a second lockdown, what that means for January and March, nobody knows. Um, mm. And the way people have been operating this digital fashion week might become the status quo. That's kind of a, it's, it's, it would have been unthinkable a little while ago, but suddenly it's not. Yeah. 100% unthinkable anymore. Yeah, well, yeah. For me, I was super happy with our little um, outdoor cinema, our sunset cinema. Obviously, we were very lucky with the weather and February might, <laughs> might be a bitch. So we'll have to see. Maybe a drive-in. Let's see. I think some element of live. I don't know. I mean, you're the one having to watch tons and tons of digital films. I think as long as they're interesting and not too long and visually beautiful, then it's not a terrible thing, is it? No, and, and, and you do get, you know, like Saul's film, when you have something like the people running towards the cliff edge, you get a whole other, yeah. you, you, you're instantly engaged in a whole other more primal way. And, and you know, yeah, I, I love fashion shows. I've been going to them for a long time and, and had some of my most meaningful experiences in fashion at shows. But Same. it's interesting considering that the industry is, could, could be on the brink of just this absolutely massive shift. I loved um, Kim's Dior film, for example. I was completely overwhelmed with that. Yeah. It was majestic. It was, you could see the clothes probably just as well as you could in a show. I mean, it was, it had everything. The messaging was completely you know, brilliant. So for me, I'm just like, let's do films with our very limited resource and ability. And I thought these four absolutely killed it. They, what they, what they did, I just don't know, as well as making collections in lockdown, the films they produced, I thought each one completely suited them. And there was nothing jarring for me watching them. And sometimes I would only get the edit on the day. <laughs> it's like, hope it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you know, going forward, so, I, you know. I've been saying that, I've been thinking that one thing that will become more important, I, I do believe, we obviously had seen the industry get way too big and, and some kind of shrinkage is necessary for everybody's sanity and so on. Um, but yeah. the relationships will become more important. I mean, designers' relationship with their customers and 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 what is what is one of the biggest bridges to create um, you know these new relationships is 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 storytelling and that's what really stands out it's i know it's already a fashion cliche storytelling but what really stands out with so many of the young designers that i i've talked to meet um um is the incredible stories they have to tell and also their ability and um agility in doing so they're digital natives they've grown up with social media and and it's just second nature to them, you know, there's no kind of holding, they don't hold themselves back. They really, I think they've learned and grasped really early on, thank God, how to express themselves digitally. So I think maybe that's why there was an ease to them, you know, turning from designer to filmmaker. Maybe. But, but they're articulate. I mean. The people that I work mean, are very talented. Yes, storytelling, they, 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 they can tell a story. Oh, and I remember that that used to frustrate me a little bit with, um, with brilliant designers who weren't necessarily articulate and you you thought um and then there were other designers who weren't brilliant who were extremely articulate and they were the ones who were getting the attention so well they can make a great collection and then somehow the show itself is like a bit boring or something you're like yeah. oh, so frustrating when they have it all and it all comes together it's it's a rush isn't it and it's yeah of course we're not all in one room and you know clutching our pearls and <laughs> screaming and cheering and clapping and it's different but it is still it's still a real rush and a buzz I think to watch these films and I'm still I'm really into it I'm yeah. this yeah. season off. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that I have been as into it into this into this week you know because I just you know I'm so much about fashion as a physical experience and I'm I'm impressed that it can also move you, you know, like this. People contacted me to say they cried during, you know, watching our films. They're still texting now, which is always a great. Michael great... Halpin's film was 
did you see the Michael Halpin film? Yeah, no, I've been so busy. I'm going to catch know, up with yours. Now. Yeah. Well, what um, working towards the next Fashion East? Mm. How do you do? You already have sort of a set of names that you're no, curious no. about. I mean, there are some new names out there who who I would love to see what they're doing, but who knows? You know, if now is the time to kind of be bringing new names, it might. I don't know yet. I need to kind of regroup. Now you say that when you came into fashion, you knew absolutely nothing about it. What do you think is the most significant thing that you've learned about it in twenty, in 20 years at Fashion East? Just be true to yourself. I say this to designers: don't don't be you know second guessing and looking what other people are doing over your shoulder. Just do you. I don't know. I think it works for me. I don't know. What do you think? So that's your that's your own that's your own kind of uh, your own. Well, I, yeah, I always feel it's the best advice I've been given to, you know, once you embrace and accept yourself, all else kind of everything else flows. I mean, you know, when you're fighting yourself and hating on yourself it's, and anxious, it's not going to work, is it? We're trying to please other people. Yeah, but also know when to work really hard. <laughs> you know, what, what, do, you have a, do you have one single hard. moment? Do you have one single moment that you just, that just stands out for you more than any other where... You just thought things can never get this fabulous ever again. Oh, <laughs> a really fun night was um, after my MBE at Buckingham Palace, which was obviously very surreal. Um, and then lunch with my family and then a kind of a press friendly tea party thing in a hotel, very, very fancy. I was then allowed off the leash to go to the pub and I just had all my friends around me and I, I looked around the room and, I had no speech ready. I'm terrible at speeches. Apologies to everyone the other night who I didn't thank and forgot. Um, but I just looked around the room and I think other people talk about this maybe at their weddings of suddenly having this sense of like seeing their life in front of them and all the love around them. And I just looked and I thought, you know, these are my friends. This is what I've done. And this, and this sense of, yeah, I wasn't expecting it because for me an MBE didn't actually, I didn't really know what one was or what it meant. But there was that feeling of uh, not even accomplishment, just of like joy, amazement, like, wow. You have always been brilliant at making people feel part of it, though. Well, they've, made me, been... they've given me my place, my purpose. They're my chosen family. I mean, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be more blessed, I don't think. Well, you know, one day we'll be sitting here and I'll say, I'll be able to say, <laughs> sign in, please, Dame Lulu Kennedy. <laughs> please, no. <laughs> Oh gosh, no. As if fashion's fairy godmother wasn't a terrible enough name. Oh. I'm not a saint, Tim. Come on. I'm not doing it. I'm not after a saint. <laughs> you know, I get my kicks. I do. I get my kicks. I want, you know, I think it's important to understand that, uh, yes, I'm doing this for them, but also that you look, look what I get from it. Look at all the, you know, job satisfaction off the scale and fun, and I get my kicks you know, watching, nurturing, that's what I do, that's where I belong, and what did I say earlier? Lurking in the background. Well, you're a wonderful <laughs> friend. <laughs> <laughs> With one million dollars to spend on Fashion East. Oh, right, well, I hope you get your wish about the manufacturer, and I hope there was somebody listening who will make that happen. A good way forward, wouldn't it? Yeah, and thank you very much, and thank you for everything. Thank you for everything you have done to make my, honor. Make my world what it is. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.